just do what makes you happy. Try not to worry about results all the time because I feel like that's what that's what ruins things for people is whenever you're just like bogged down by the validation aspect of it. Okay, this week I have my friend, my neighbor, Kale Tyson, over, and we sat at my kitchen table to record this conversation that you're about to hear. He is a musician, he's been making pottery, he recently wrote a book, which we talk about in this, and he does a bunch of things, which I'll I'll let him tell you in a second. He is really sweet. He's a real gentle guy who makes me laugh and I like a lot and I think you will too. Kale is super open in this about addiction and going to rehab and what got him (laughs) to that point, which means we talk about drugs. (laughs) So if you're listening around people or children or someone who, you know, you might not want to have that on your speaker, just a heads up, put your headphones in. It's not a dare class or or anything. Drugs are cool. (laughs) You know, everybody's different to do whatever, but he just shares his really honest experience with recovery. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. And it's a really great story. And I'm, I'm grateful that he told it here and that you're here listening. So thank you so much. And here's my conversation with my friend, Kale recorded just last week here in my apartment. I was saying to you before we started recording that I see you often Mm -hmm. and we had a real stretch there for a while when we would see each other so frequently Mm -hmm. on the street. All the time. I feel like there was one day that I saw you twice for sure happened maybe multiple times but like to the point where it was like all right hi again like hi we've done this twice already (laughs) yeah that's like figueroa in a a nutshell i I feel like i was always especially when i lived over here i would literally just like wake up and just walk to the street and start walking down like well i know i'm gonna get coffee and then we'll just see where like see where the day leads me and i would like go get food somewhere or go sort of like read a book somewhere but I feel like now that I live off York, I'm like just far enough off the stretch that I don't like, I was telling someone this the other day, I like don't find myself in Highland Park as much as I used to. Mm. And I also think it's because I was always at bars over here and I just like don't go to the bars as much as I used to. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I like the other day I went and met a friend at Good Housekeeping and then afterwards we like walked down Figueroa and I ran into like six people and I was like, oh yeah, this is what happens when I'm over here. Yeah, I mean, there's something about this neighborhood that my friend Dexter, who's my na- our neighbor who lives mm-hmm. over here, he, as you know, I walk a lot mm-hmm. and I I love that about this neighborhood that I, I was so worried when I left New York that I would never walk again. So yeah. I really pretend LA is walk- walkable city, but it's really just 
where I live. It, I, it works for me. Mm-hmm. He said this the other day because I was working in the shop and I met him and our friend at a show at the lodge room, like spur of the moment, walked there, went to like the same four places I went to. And he said to this mutual friend of ours, he's like, yeah, Katie basically just like, she basically like has a trolley that could like take her to her four <laughs> places. Yeah. And I, I, then I then we're watching the show and I'm like looking up at the show and you know, you're just like daydreaming. And I was like, wow, this really feels like high school sometimes or like a college campus where I'm like, all right, I'm seeing the community show at the theater. We're mm-hmm. going to the mess hall, which is like the same for like, yeah. And that's fun. And I really like that. And it's cozy, but I also, I don't know. Do you, do you, you feel like that? So too? I do this thing with everything, whether it's like a social circle or like, I don't know basically anything in my life i dive in fully into like this community setting and i like just become immersed in it whether it's highland park whether it's friendships whether it's you know whatever kind of club i'm a part of and then i run away (laughs) (laughs) like after like months i like go in dive in and then i'm like i don't know something freaks me out and i'm like oh i gotta go get away from it for a while so i feel like i'm there right now i'm like not hanging out here that much yeah. I don't know why. I think I just like once something starts to feel small to me or a lot of drama or something starts to surround me, I just like run. And like I feel like I've done that a little bit with Highland Park lately, but it's not a bad thing because then I always come back to it. It's just like mm-hmm. I get trapped in bubbles and anytime I get trapped in a bubble, I freak out and I have to like pop the bubble and get out. Yeah, I feel like I'm ready to jump ship myself. Are you? <laughs> well, maybe it just break. Yeah. I think it's good for it. Well, speaking of high school, what were you like in high school? High school me. Yeah. So you grew up in Texas. Grew up in Texas. I went to the same school from kindergarten until graduation. I went to like a very small private school. I graduated with like 88 kids in my class. And it was... Small town in Texas? Not that small. Fort Worth. So pretty pretty good size i like it was very preppy conservative obviously so i was like the artsy emo kid or whatever Mm -hmm. in high school but i loved to party like i was like i was like i'm not an introvert but i like music and art and stuff but i still want to like hang out with people so everyone else that was into what i was into was not going out and doing things and i was like well i want to go out and still like go to the party on the ranch and go to like get into all this trouble so it was really funny because i was like I was like quintessential emo kid, especially like I think probably like from like seventh grade to like my freshman year of high school. And I like had like this swoop bangs oh and like a super tight shirt and like the girls' jeans and everything. And what are you I listening would, to? Oh my god, horrible shit. I think like the only thing of some substance at the time was like bright eyes, like which I still will hold on to bright eyes. I'll still fight for bright eyes, but everything else was like horrible, like senses fail used like all that stuff cute is what we aim for cute is what we aim for big time fallout boy (laughs) so i would hang out with bros and like you know jocks and stuff and they would like i would i remember like going to parties with these guys and they'd be like someone at the party would be like look at me weird and give me a bad look and then they'd be like don't worry he's emo but he's cool like don't worry kill's cool even though he dresses like that like he's one of us don't worry (laughs) which is so weird but I don't know. So that's like how I got to kind of like go with both sides of the equation and like be social, mm-hmm. but also be into what I was into. And like kind of I feel like not to get like too deep, but I feel like I've always like I've never fit 
like perfectly into a crowd. And I think that there's something about me that doesn't want to be all into one crowd. And I feel like I'm some constantly like being like, oh, I have this friend group and I have this friend group and this one over here and this one over here. And it allows me to just kind of like go around and do that. But then like whenever it's like time for like a birthday party or something, mm-hmm. it's like this big room that's just a huge hodgepodge full of people that don't know each other. And I'm constantly just mm-hmm. like, hey, what's up? Oh, hey, what's up over here? It makes it a little difficult sometimes. I just like to like go between different groups mm-hmm. rather than like be immersed in one thing. I think it's my detachment. <laughs> Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. It's yeah. like I know everyone around or like I know a lot of people. And so I can always run into someone. Yeah. And I can always sit at a bar and have a conversation with someone. But it's like not people that I'm like, oh, I trust that person with my life. Or I'm yeah. going to call that person tomorrow like for lunch or something. It's like just a lot of acquaintances, mm-hmm. which is something I think – I've worked on in the last like six months or not, not even necessarily working on, but I think it's coming more natural for me to invest in relationships that are bigger than just acquaintance kind of things. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot on, on this show. We've been talking about friendship. It's just been coming up Mm -hmm. and I'm realizing how, friendship is so undefined as a relationship, Mm -hmm. which is cool. Like that makes it really beautiful. And Mm. there's no moment where we're like, you and me, we're going to be friends. So we have to decide for ourselves. Like, is it when we get each other's number? Is Mm -hmm. it when we like hang out a certain number of times? Is it following on Instagram.com? Like Mm -hmm. it's all these things that we have to just sort of sort out. And then because I think we're, we're people who diversify our, scope of people and that comes naturally to us i think which is great in a lot of contexts what i've felt is that it can be lonely it can be this sort of i'm close with everyone i'm around people but like alone (laughs) yeah yeah totally yeah well it is hard to like it's hard to define that because it's not a romantic relationship right romantic relationships are so much easier to be like okay well now we're dating now we're in a relationship but yeah, friendships can be like, I mean, think about like all the time we'd be like, oh yeah, you know, so-and-so like, yeah, we're friends. But it's like, right. oh no, we only like really talk to each other when we're around each other. It's yeah. like, what's the difference between that friendship and someone that's, I'm calling every single day. Yeah. And also I feel like I was talking to someone recently about like actually like losing a friend is like insane. They were talking about if it's harder to go through like a friend breakup or like a romantic breakup and like, but I think they're just like entirely different. You know, Mm -hmm. especially depending on like your level of friendship with that person. Because I feel for me in the past, like friends have, I'm not the kind of guy that's like, oh, I have like all my high school friends who we still keep in contact with, or I have all my friends from college. Like I, and this is probably to my detriment, like tend to lose a lot of people from my past over the year. And it's, it's like my fault. Like I definitely don't keep up with people. I feel like Anytime in the past I've moved from somewhere, I'm always like, okay, fuck the past. I'm done with Nashville. I'm done with Fort Worth. Like, I'm like here now. This is me now. And I like end up like throwing people away. And I hate that about myself. And like, that's something I've come to, I've come to realize like recently. I do feel like friendships evolve a lot. I'm lucky enough to still have like a few core friends that I've known for like a long, long time. One of my friends came up to the book show, like lives in Texas, flew in town for like two days, oh. saw the show and left and like was so sweet. That's and so nice. I think that's something I didn't value until recently. I yeah. think I've been stuck so much living in like 
self-centeredness that like I didn't see mm-hmm. that's like important to have in your life, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's really cool growth. The staying in touch piece is, is interesting. Like I, I too am not really friends with people I grew up with and mm-hmm. I've just lived in a lot of cities. I'm cool with them. If we were here, I would yeah. like, love to hear about their lives, which are so different from mine, mm-hmm. but it feels so uncool to talk about Instagram in this context, but mm. it is true. Like I still follow them on Instagram <clears throat> and I actually really find it so comforting to see their kids and their life and our hometown. And I love seeing that kind of yeah. thing. And I do feel like I'm a little bit aware of them. And, and honestly, like this is about the most uncool thing to say because <laughs> it's so embarrassing to talk about Instagram, I think. Mm. But it is true. I mean, even with you, like we're kind of an example of that. Like, mm-hmm. are are we friends? Like, I think you're cool. And we've had, I can remember like two conversations really well. And I like you and I see you around all the time. Yeah. But because of Instagram, I like know about your life. Yeah, we know and, a lot about each other from yeah. just yeah, stuff that's not like one-on-one. There's yeah. like an intimacy to that. And, and honestly... It's something I really appreciate about you because, I mean, I live alone. I work alone. I'm doing this like weird thing of recording my voice. I have an Instagram for Let It Out, which you follow and you like photos on there. Mm -hmm. And when I put something up, I don't know if you're like this. You seem like you have more confidence and self-worth than than I do. But whenever (laughs) I put something up, I'm like, oh God. I mean, it depends on the thing, but usually there's some Mm -hmm. version of that. I don't care about the number Mm -hmm. of it, but if I just see one of my friends, Mm -hmm. you or someone I know, and they like it, then I'm like, okay, all right, whatever. I don't care. Like, because then if it's just all strangers, then I'm like, is it bad? Did I say something that was like wrong or is it stupid? Mm -hmm. But like, if I just see someone's name, it's like they co-signed like, that was not, you didn't hurt anyone's feelings with that. <laughs> and if they don't, you're like, oh my God, mm-hmm. what the hell? And it's probably just because they didn't even see it. Or they were just like, right, we're literally right. like mindlessly just scrolling. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's crazy. I was actually thinking about that today. I was looking at a post that I posted and I was like, okay, let's see if like all the boxes are checked for who liked this. It's like that person who I think is cool. Yeah, they liked it. That person, person I have a crush on. Friend, mm-hmm. That person I have a crush Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, cool. We're good on this one. It is weird and it is bizarre. And I'm, I'm sure it's fucking with our brains in ways we're mm. not aware of even, or I think we are becoming aware of, but... I think what we're talking about is probably not this way, but like one thing that I have struggled with a lot and I think everyone struggles with is like the validation aspect of it all. And like, that's been so huge for me in terms of everything, in terms of like the art I create, in terms of like what I want to do with my life, like is figuring out what I'm doing that's actually just for seeking validation. Mm -hmm. Like really like looking at yourself and being like, okay, when I'm doing this Instagram post or whatever, is this just for validation? And do I just want likes? Do I just want someone to think I'm cool? Dopamine. Dopamine. And a lot of us like do, and I think honestly, probably like most people is that's why they're doing it. And I think I do that all the time. But I think like, I mean, not to like change the subject too much. I read that book, The Artist's Way. That was my first time I was like, holy shit, why am I making music? Why have I been depressed in my entire music career? It's like, because like, I wasn't enjoying making the art i was only looking at the results i was only looking for the validation 
Yeah. And it changed, that changed everything. That like changed the way I look at everything I do now. It's kind of insane. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, it's a it's a big theme in your book, which I want to talk about. Some mm-hmm. memories are only thoughts. Validation comes up several times. Mm-hmm. And I used to use Instagram when I lived in New York. It was easier for me. I was on it a lot more. And I've only more recently posting about things more, I guess. But now I'm like, oh, I, I got to do it because it's feels like it's related to my work. Or I want it to be yeah. related to my work. Okay, that's the mind fuck because right. that's where I'm at. Like I literally, I was sick last week. And so I got like this, anytime I get sick and I'm stuck at home, I get so depressed. Hold up in my room by myself yeah. for like over a couple hours. It's like all these dark thoughts come in. And so like I had the book launch party coming in and I was like, I literally like got into this like tunnel of thinking that everything you're doing is for validation. This book release, like who fucking cares? You just want like, you want to be appreciated. You want people to think you're cool, but everyone sees through you. They know you're not cool. Like all these like crazy intrusive thoughts that used to come into my brain all the time, just like crept back up. But I think the cool thing about like using Instagram for your podcast or for me to sell my book or to let people know I have a new song. Like I think that there's always a little bit of validation involved in all that. Like we want to feel important, but I think that we're doing good things. Like we're doing things, we're contributing to the world. We're not just posting like a selfie of ourselves and being like, hey, another day in the sunlight, you know, like, which is totally cool if you do that too. But like, there is a justification to what we're doing. And it's hard. We're just, I personally, my own worst critic. So I will convince myself that everything I'm doing is out of selfishness and I'm a shitty person. Basically turn down the volume of that voice and being like, actually what you're doing is cool. And like the reason I made this book was because I was posting those notes and like people were like writing me and being like, I love your notes. Like they like bite my day every day. And I was like, holy shit, like really? That was like a real emotion. That was a real thing that someone told me. And I have to remember that because my mind will play tricks on me and be like, no, you're totally like just narcissistic asshole and no one cares. When I brought up that I, I, it was very different when I lived in New York, I didn't have an account for Let It Out for Mm -hmm. this podcast. Mm -hmm. And so I would post about episodes on my Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. And I just didn't care. I was really earnest on there still, but I didn't. And I think now our, everyone's allergic to earnestness. Like everything has to be said with like a little wink of like, you're in on the joke or it's, Yeah, I'm allergic to earnestness too, but that's like, I've accepted I'm not cool. I'm not mysterious. Like I'm warm. I'm from the Midwest. Like I've I've gotten old enough that I'm just like, I think this is how it's going to be this time around. I'm not going to be an Olsen twin, you know? (laughs) But because of that, I'm, when I, especially when I moved here, honestly, like my my life changed so quickly and I was in such a weird, I mean, it was so weird for everyone in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. and, And then with everything like right after that, I was just like, why am I taking up space? Why am I doing anything I'm doing at all? Mm-hmm. And just didn't do it for a long time because I, and I felt like everyone around me thought my work was stupid, like thought that I would, yeah. all the people I was meeting here, I just was like, I I felt really embarrassed. I felt embarrassed to do anything. And I had the the podcast Instagram and I was like, fuck, like this is my, this is also my job. Like this is yeah. my, the only way I'm making money. Like yeah. I literally live by myself. I have to, I got to feed the beast. And so I think for me, it's like, I have the one for let it out and that I feel some distance towards. So it's so nice that you follow it and like it. And this is like very true and earnest Mm -hmm. Kale. But when you 
like followed me there and liked those posts and we are friends on there. I feel like I know you better and you like know things about me yeah. more, which is like stupid and sort of weird, but yeah, no, it's true though. Yeah. My, my friend Caro said this once where she was talking about supporting other people or supporting friends. And she was like, I do it how I can. And she's like, I don't have a lot of money. I don't, I like will go to that thing or do that or help them with the, help them move or whatever. And then she gave, she was like rattling off of these examples. And she's like, and she's like, yeah, for you, you know, I like all your posts. As embarrassing as it is to talk about, I do think it's, it's true for me. Yeah, know? no, I think it's very true. I <laughs> I don't know if you know this. I, I wrote Instagram and like one of my songs and the lyrics, like this phase of songwriting where I was like, I'm going to be so stream of consciousness. Like everything <laughs> I write is just going to be like whatever flows out. And I had this song about an ex-girlfriend. I wrote not to get too far into this, but I wrote like a an EP when I lived there called Narcissist. And it was about my ex. And it was like so shitty of me. But it's funny because it totally backfired because people would come up to me and be like, hey man, really bold move to like call yourself out on that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I wrote this song and it was, it, it literally says the word Instagram like in the song lyrics. And it's my most played song on Spotify. Can I splice them in here? Yeah, it's called Not Healthy Anymore. It's so embarrassing to say the word Instagram. Like I performed out in Healdsburg the other day and I played the song and like <laughs> that lyric came up and I was like, oh God, I'm going to say the word Instagram on a stage. At first when I was doing it, I was like empowered. I was like, look how edgy I am. Like I'm ironic and saying the word Instagram. And now I'm like, oh my God, you're really saying it. I mean, it's part of our lives for better or worse. Yeah. Like it's, you know, I, I think about it so much where there, there's this really great zine that I have that a person who did the podcast, Marley Grace wrote and it, the title of it, you can kind of get everything from mm -hmm. it. It's how a video and photo sharing platform gave me my career introduced me to my best friends, helped me fall in love and made me want to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. I know that people have reached out to me or I've gotten, I've connected with people or opportunities. Again, this is so cringy to say mm. because of a stupid number on there that I really don't even understand yeah. how or why. Like I just definitely like a slow thing, maybe when my book came out, but often I'm like, who are these people? Like, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I know I'm, I'm sure I have probably like a thousand, two thousand people that are like the people I went to high school with, like the people from the neighborhood, like, mm -hmm. but then I'm like, who are you? And thank you. I'm, I'm like glad you're here, but it becomes this thing where when I'm feeling shaky outside of in, in general, mm -hmm. you know, everything is everything. So I'm like shaky around all of it. And yeah, well, okay. I, I used to teach yoga when mm -hmm. I was in college and I, they let the like learning the new teachers teach this Sunday night like five dollar class right mm -hmm. and they would have we would pack in like 60 people mm -hmm. and because it was so cheap and every time like my friends would always come and whenever someone that I had a crush on or like a friend of mine was there every song on the playlist and every move that I taught I would always just be looking over at that person like what do you think of that like what yeah, yeah, <laughs> checking yeah. them which is so unfair to everyone else in the class who like actually paid like I let my friends come for free mm -hmm. who were there like I should be catering to yeah, them yeah we overlook all these people yeah yeah, yeah. and it's so because we were just saying like why is it that I I only care when yeah so and so likes this post yeah it's, it's validation so true. It's, it's so true I know and like feeling okayness which really it's like all right we gotta just do it for ourselves and I do have to participate in this thing because even for for getting jobs now like I, I just read something that all the tech layoffs mm -hmm. people who have been laid off in tech are 
getting onto TikTok and talking about the layoffs, I guess. Mm-hmm. I I don't even have it downloaded on my phone, but now recruiters and tech and like the, I, this is like so over my head because I don't work in it, but yeah. basically they're finding people to fill jobs on TikTok. The article was about how like, if you aren't posting on social media, Instagram, TikTok as a like college grad or whatever, mm-hmm. the, there was a line in it that was like, people think you're like not okay. Or like you're, they're making a judgment. And I'm like, can you imagine like when we were growing up, they were like, okay, so make sure you make your resume. And, and then also, Instagram yeah. Nice and your Twitter. Yeah. I actually had, uh, so I have the most unhinged Twitter account of all time. It's gotten better with sobriety, but like before people would be like, you need help. <laughs> yeah. But it would, I would just be rattling off like the most depressing, weird thoughts I had. And I was applying for jobs like a year ago. And I remember I like had a job interview and the lady was like, I was public on Twitter. And she was like, so we, we found your website and we found your Twitter. And I was like, oh my God. Like, I, like, didn't even, like, think for a second, like, oh, these people are going to, like, Google me and, like, see what I'm about. So I went private on Twitter recently, (laughs) but, like, that was fucking terrifying. But, yeah, I mean, people look at this stuff all the time. Well, I guess, like, everything we've been talking about sort of has been around self-mythologizing, even Mm -hmm. from the beginning of, like, how I perceived you in the neighborhood, how you perceive yourself, how you perceive yourself online, all of it. And to me, like you seem like you have a very clear image of yourself, even what you told me before we started recording of like, Mm -hmm. I know I'm perceived this way. And I like that clarity. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the movie Tar? No, not yet. I want to. Well, then I'm going to go in a different direction with my example. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But but basically, I mean, there is an art to creating a self-mythologizing, I guess. Or like, what does that mean to you? And, And how aware and conscious is it? Yeah. I mean, embarrassingly conscious, to be honest. I I feel like for a long time was like trying to portray this image of myself that I thought was like cool, like especially on social media, especially Instagram was like, okay, like I'm going to like post stuff that looks like this. When I repost someone's story, it's going to be a story that's like this. And for a long time, it was totally inauthentic, I think. And especially just like I didn't know myself until like literally the last year. Like I truly didn't. And I feel like now I, I do have that authentic like self in mind. And, and it's very similar to what I was trying mm-hmm. to portray. I think it was like the self I wanted to be. And now I'm like, okay, like it makes sense that I wanted to be that because that was inside of me. I still portray an image, but I think there is actual authenticity to it. And for a long time, there wasn't. Like, I mean, I've struggled with authenticity like the past decade of my life. Like I played country music in Nashville for seven years and I like would put on a cowboy hat every single day of my life and talk with a Southern accent. I would go on tours and people would come up to me and be like, so like your hometown, like you got horses and stuff. And like, I don't think I necessarily lied, but I was putting on this like show wow. and like, I am a Southern guy, even though I grew up in like pretty nice, like neighborhood <laughs> that like led me down this like I don't know who I am, but I know what I'm going to portray and like, that's going to be me. And then I had like a whole like identity crisis. I feel like country music has such a stigma of, or not stigma, but it places such a weight on authenticity. Like people will judge an artist that plays country because I don't think this is as much as it used to be, but they would judge an artist and be like, well, he's not actually country. And especially when I lived in Nashville and started playing, they were like, oh no, he's just like a hipster dude. Like, and they would look down on you for that. 
So I had this moment where I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not a country guy. Like, I am just like a hipster dude, <laughs> you know? And I'm just going to play whatever music I want to play. That kind of got me to where I am now. But yeah, I think, I think searching for my authentic self has taken me a long time and probably other people. But like, I feel like I'm the closest to finding it that I've been in a long time. What helped with that? <laughs> I mean, the pandemic, like the artist way, like doing journaling and then getting sober like truly like not to like make that my whole narrative but like just like my mind was so clouded that I was like just surviving for the longest time and just trying to get through each day and not have a panic attack for mm. the longest time that I think that I just I couldn't even be a version of myself because I was too clouded I want to talk about addiction and recovery a bit I found this quote about addiction that I want to read mm -hmm. and we can use as a jumping off point. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but it really hit me hard. <laughs> so, yeah. okay. This is from Sasha Tozy. Do you know them? No. I don't really either, but I like this quote. Okay. Addiction to anything is a symptom of pain. The frequency of addiction is fueled by a massively dysregulated nervous system. Trauma that never got completed. Disconnection and shame. The state of being addicted hijacks your brain and body and keeps you in a cage of obsession and compulsion addiction is not a character flaw it is a misguided attempt to regulate your emotions and an intelligent survival mechanism that alerts you to the presence of deeper pain and unmet needs yeah I feel like that was kind of what you were yeah. describing as your before. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely like not to get into specifics, but I think that there is a lot of like emotional, I hate to use the, the big T word, but trauma in my life that did not help with that. To go into like my addiction past, I think a lot of my drinking and using was to stave off anxiety. My anxiety, I didn't realize I had anxiety really until... I think I was like 24, 25, I started having panic attacks. Mm. And I remember like I was on stage playing a show outside of Nashville and I like playing a festival with a friend and I had a panic attack and I thought I was dying and like went to the emergency yeah, room. So they scary. kept me overnight, checking my heart, like literally like went to like um, a cardiologist to like get everything checked out. My mom flew into town. It was like this whole scary thing. And then it turned out I was just having panic attacks, didn't know what they were. And it triggered this like recurring, almost daily theme of just total brain fog, total discomfort in my skin. And the only way to get out of it was to drink in excess. Like when I drank, I could like level out and feel normal. And so I did that. And like I had been doing that before. Drinking was fun before. It was to party. And then it was like, oh my God, I have to regulate this way I feel. And then someone showed me, a doctor showed me Xanax and I figured out Xanax did the same thing, but I knew I couldn't drink and do Xanax. So I take Xanax in the morning, then I drink at night and like, and it got me into this cycle of not looking at alcohol as, or Xanax or, you know, cocaine or whatever as the thing that was leading to my anxiety. Like it was, I still have anxiety now that I'm sober, mm -hmm. but it's a lot easier to, to work with. I was just putting this shield in front that would just crumble every single time the next morning. It's so funny. I was looking at, I have, do you have the app time hop on your phone? 
Not anymore, but... Okay, so I still have time off. I had these tweets. I had like, it was like five years ago and it was a span of tweets and it was like, does anyone else wake up with crippling anxiety after drinking like every single time? And then like the next tweet in the thread was like, I'm looking for a way to stop doing this without quitting drinking. <laughs> so I think like wow. for the longest time I was like, well, it can't be the drinking. Like I can't give up the drinking. Right. I can't give up the drinking. And like, I remember I needed to get a prescription uh, refilled for Xanax and in Tennessee, they didn't care. They were like, sure, take more Xanax. doesn't matter. But in California, they made me see a psychiatrist. So this is like during the pandemic, I was hanging out with a bunch of people that were just like, total alcoholics. We were drinking all the time and I didn't think anything of it. And I had this psychiatrist appointment on zoom one morning and I like woke up super hungover, opened my laptop. Lady starts talking to me going through, she's like, we're just going to go through like your chart today. Just to, like get everything taken care of before we actually have an appointment. And she was like, all right, like what's your height? What's your weight? She was like, do you drink? And I was like, yeah. She was like, about how many drinks do you have? And I was like, what do you mean? Like per day, per week? She was like per week. And I was like, I don't know, 40 or 50. And she was like, did you say 40 or 50? <laughs> I was like, yeah. And she was like, um, are you sure about that? I was like, I don't know, maybe 30 to 40. <laughs> she was like, no, that's like still a lot. She was like, I'm going to refer you to a substance abuse counselor. And I remember I just like slammed the laptop Aww. closed. Cause I never like yeah. thought you I had ready. a problem. Yeah. I literally like was blocking my brain from, from realizing like this. And I think I knew, I, I knew for a while, but I was like, not, not willing to look at it of like, this is not helping. And being sober definitely makes the days better and the anxiety better. But like, it's still now I'm able to look at, okay, what's like the actual deep cause of this? Like what kind of childhood trauma or some kind of like any insecurity or in me or like my brain does this thing where if I feel like I'm involved in any sort of cognitive dissonance, like anything, any kind of discomfort where it's like, oh, I think I'm doing the wrong thing right now my brain just like completely ruins my life. It like won't let me live normally. It'll just be like, well, you're going to have brain fog all day today. Like good luck remembering anything or like it, it won't allow it, which is crazy. So, but now I know that now, like when I was drinking, I was like, I don't know what's causing this. And now it's like, okay, I see I'm able to look at patterns because I'm not just like numbing myself all the time. Yeah. What, what do they say that you can't rush someone's bottom? Yeah. It sounds like you were had, two like near misses with that that tweet i'm sure oh many God, many so many so many honestly i think that like la kind of pushed me over the edge because when i lived in nashville it was normal to drink as much as i was drinking like everyone would go out every like bar had a beer and a shot special and we would just get the beer and the shot so every time i get a drink what was, you were there you were grew up in texas then you moved yeah. to Na how long were you in nashville and how did you end up here so I moved to Nashville my sophomore year of college. Um, so it was what, like 19. And I lived there for about nine years and did like the whole country music thing. And then I started touring and I came out here on tour and I was like, holy shit, like this is the place for me. Came back, was trying to figure out a way to move here. You, I'm sure that you've probably experienced this, but like outside of like LA, everyone's like, oh, you can't move to LA. Like good luck moving there. It's too expensive. It's too competitive. You're going to hate it. Like, no, you're, you're wrong. You just think you want to live there. Like you don't. I had all these people telling me that I was broke and I was like, there's no way I can afford it. Like it's not going to happen. So I stayed and then I would come visit here as much as possible. I would like be like, 
oh, like I got to go to LA to like play this show. Like I have to go play that show, but like I would book a show that paid me nothing. Like I was just making excuses to come here. But the other thing was I was the whole time I lived in Nashville was in relationships, like, and like living with someone like my entire twenties, it was like, all right, I lived with this girlfriend then I lived with this girlfriend and I lived. Mm. So I could never really break away. And then I went through a really shitty breakup and I was like, I think this is my time. And I just like did it. And I actually moved out here and sublet right down the street for two months. And I was going to make the decision after that, but I was here for like a week and I was like, no, this is where I need to be. When was that? That was before the, that was literally four years ago, March. I moved here today. The year before the, this day, four years ago. Congrats. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm, coming up on three so yours would have been 2019 yeah so, year, so yours year, was year, right year before, before the pandemic yeah D- during i got here like march 16th of- oh my god day after yeah. lockdown so going back you were saying mm-hmm. la pushed you to have your bottom because you is it okay I, to I was say able this? to realize it i think i think here there is such a nashville at least and i hate to like speak broadly about a city but my journey in nashville was very self-deprecating and everyone was being self-deprecating so it didn't feel like anything was wrong if, if you woke up and you were hungover all day it was like who fucking cares the world sucks nothing matters you know and then i moved here and people would be like i'm hungover i can't drink for the next three nights like i have to go get a green juice right now <laughs> you know like it's people here so like i have to take care of my body mm-hmm. and whatever so i think i was trying to do that when i moved here and i just i couldn't do it and then, you know, peer pressure, peer pressure. And then other drugs like came into the mix where it'd be like, well, like cocaine was not a thing really in Nashville, at least in my like circle. And then I came here and I was like, oh, I'm drunk and someone has coke on them again. Oh, and tomorrow they have coke on them again. Like it just kept yeah. happening. And like, I can't say no once I'm drunk. <laughs> it got me further and further into my addiction. And then I finally like it got to a point where I was having to. Like my body, I was craving to be on this like median axis all the time, but I was constantly either too jittery and anxious. So I would have to get down or too down. So I'd have to get up. And it was just a nightmare of like having to go through that over and over and like having to work jobs. And my jobs are so easy. Like the easiest jobs were so difficult for me. Living was so insanely hard. Yeah. Getting so. the cocktail of what sort of drugs you uppers yeah, downers, uppers, where downers. You? yeah. Like I was going, I was working. I'm like I DJ weddings, and I was like going to DJ weddings, and I was literally like having to be like in my car, like I have to go speak in front of these people in a second. Like I need to like either take a Xanax or drink, and then it was like, oh, I think I've drank too much. Like now I gotta like drink a bunch of coffee and get back. Like it was just, yeah, surviving was hard, really, really hard. Yeah, yeah, it's so intense. So. This summer, you went to rehab. Yeah. And what was the moment where you were like, all right, I'm, this is, yeah. So I had been like flirting with the idea for a while. I would like text my friends and be like, oh my God, I'm so, I would always, okay. So I never wanted to be the only one that was hungover or that was going through it. So I'd always text other people like, I'm so hungover today. Like, how are you? And they'd be like, I feel pretty good. And I'd be like, (laughs) wow, I hate you, (laughs) you know? And then I would start flirting with, I'd be like, wouldn't it be funny if I went to rehab? Like, wouldn't that be funny? I think you said that to me, like just out as like, I feel like I heard that a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, I was just like, I got to a point where 
it was getting like really bad. Like, like I said, I couldn't work my jobs normally. I just felt horrible. I started to have like these like crying fits in my car randomly. I'll never forget. I was, it was a Sunday night. My friends hosted dinner, like a block over that way every Sunday night. And I would use that as an excuse to get like really wasted on Sundays. And I went over there and, um, got drunk, ended up like staying the night there, woke up in the morning, couldn't find my phone. My phone was like trapped under like a bunch of wood chips in their front yard. Like, and it was hot outside and I was like searching for my phone. I finally found it. (laughs) I went home and like took a nap and I was like, I was like, I have to stop. Like something's got to change. I need to like, I need to detox. I didn't want to get sober. I just wanted to detox. So with Medi-Cal, I think I had a friend actually reach out. Yeah, I had a friend reach out and was like, here, my friend works in like social, not social services, um, some kind of psychiatric services within Medi-Cal. She had this list of numbers I could call for detox centers. So I started calling them and none of them had any rooms available. And they're like, check back in a few days. But it's that window, you know, like I knew I was in my window mm. and I call, I remembered Music Cares, the nonprofit had helped like some people I like vaguely knew with rehab, called them. They didn't answer. I left a message. So I like laid in bed miserable all day and I was like, you know what? Like, it's not meant to be. You can do this like on sheer willpower. Just like don't drink for like a week. Just Wait, don't do on. it. Exactly. And so about you know four o'clock i get a text from my friends who i was with the night before and they're like hey we're all like feeling really shitty today but we're gonna go get like a happy hour drink at eta and some oysters do you want to come and i was like i was like um i was like well i just like swore off drinking but like you know what if i don't drink i'm probably gonna have withdrawals and so i should just go have a couple drinks and then i can go home and go to sleep and i'll be fine so I remember I wore Crocs to the bar because I was like, if I wear Crocs, yeah, you're telling me <laughs> I wear Crocs, then like, I'm not going to stay out all night. Mm-hmm. Go there, have like two or three margaritas. We're like, well, let's stop by Goldline. You know, like our friend's bartending. We'll just like head in there for a second. So we go there and friend is bartending and hooks it up with like three or four shots. And so at this point, I'm like, I feel great. Like I've forgotten all the vows I made to myself that day. And so around like, eight or nine everyone that i'm with is like well we're gonna go home now like we hadn't like our plan was not to stay out tonight we just want to go like have happy hour and then go home and i was like how the hell are you guys gonna go home like i finally feel good <laughs> like i'm finally happy again like let's keep this going so they all leave me i go next door to good housekeeping i run into a friend there keep drinking and then around like midnight i'm like okay i promised myself that i was going to quit drinking for a week I'm going to go home and like, this is going to be over. So I'm like saying goodbye. My friend's like, dude, you don't have to go home. And I was like, what do you mean? Like I do. And and he's like, no, no, you don't. And then he like showed me that he had like a bag of cocaine. (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, I don't have to go home. Good call. (laughs) Did that. Crocs did not save me at all. (laughs) I woke up the next morning to a call from Music Cares. And they're like, we found a place for you. You can go in today. I looked up the place. It looked like pretty nice. I called the place and they were like, all right, so Music Cares is going to pay for you to come here for 30 days. And I was like, no, 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 no. I just want to do like a week long detox thing. And they're like, oh, well, you need to call Music Cares and tell them that because they told us 30 days. I call my caseworker at Music Cares and they're like, no, we're sorry. Like we believe in your long-term sobriety. We don't want to pay for you to go get like sober for a week and then go right back to it. 
So I freaked out, like cried a bunch, called my parents, called my friends, called everyone I could think of, called my bosses at the jobs I was working and was like, okay, like, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And everyone was like, dude, you should just do it. Like, might as well just do it. So I threw, I think like four shirts into a bag, all dirty clothes, told my roommate to drive me there, like parked my car on a street with no street cleaning. And he drove me to Pasadena and dropped me off at this house where I was for 30 days. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for telling that. I mean, that's yeah. it's wild. So then what happens next? You're you're there for a month. You come out. I mean, I know a little bit about this from, yeah. from getting the debrief after. But, you know, and also with this, are you – I wanted to talk about morning pages too. And mm-hmm. I know that practice has been really useful for you. Are you writing while you're in rehab? Or yeah. You- so I get there. And I'm detoxing. I was withdrawing, not like a crazy amount, but enough to where like I needed drugs to come off of it. And I remember I woke up the second day and I was like, what am I doing here? Like I've made a huge mistake. And you know, you're living with like, like they give you drugs to come down. Yeah. They were giving me like Ativans so that I wouldn't have a seizure from coming off this stuff. And also like coming off of, cause I was taking Valium and Xanax before and coming off of that, it's like super dangerous to do cold Turkey. So they're helping out with that. I was sleeping on like a twin size bed with like a, like an under mattress, like pee soaker thing. <laughs> like it was insane. I remember thinking to myself, like, what, what have I got myself into? And then I was like, I can't, I can't leave. All I wanted to do was leave. But I was like, I can't leave because I'm pretty sure that music cares isn't going to pay if I leave. And I'm going to get stuck with the bill at the time I have done here. <laughs> That's why I wasn't you leaving. You all these and cause, things. Yeah, because you could leave if you wanted to. The door was open. So I was like, but I didn't, ha- I didn't have my phone. So I couldn't call Music Cares and ask them if they were still going to pay. And I was too embarrassed to ask the staff if like what the deal was. Right. So I just kind of was like, all right, let's just see how long I can do. And I was writing my pages. Like I... I honestly never stopped really writing my pages, even through like drinking and stuff. I would have days where I wouldn't write because I'd be too hungover or too busy or whatever. But like, I pretty much have kept that consistent throughout the last four years of my life. You still do? Mm-hmm. But basically, they were taking us, I was in Pasadena and they were taking us to this one meeting that was very, it should have been like an NA meeting, honestly. It seemed like it was very much into like people that had done, you know, fentanyl and heroin and speed and everything like that. So I wasn't relating at all. And I was like, you know, doing the group therapy sessions, they'd be like, oh, like, you know, how's your, how's your emotion today? How's this? How's your spiritual energy today? And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm not a part of this. And then I don't know, after like a week, I went to a meeting in Silver Lake. They took us to a meeting in Silver Lake and I was around people my own age and someone got up and was like, oh, like my problem when I drink is that I like stay up like too late. Like everyone leaves the bar before me. And then if someone offers like any drugs at all, I take them. And I was like, oh, like, wait a second. Like that's, (laughs) that's me. Like that qualifies you. And then I think from like then on, I was like, okay, I need this. And just kind of like dove into it. That's, oh God, that's so cool, Kel. I mean, that's what, there's a very low tolerance for bullshit in those rooms. Mm -hmm. And seeing yourself in, I mean, even outside of the context of getting sober, I think when you can see yourself in 
an experience of someone else and be like, oh, I'm not the only one that has yeah. that weird fucked up thought. Yeah. I'm not the only one that does that weird habit. Mm-hmm. I think it it levels your nervous system enough to like think of, to become solution oriented mm-hmm. instead of just acceptance and shame. Mm-hmm. And. Well, I think that addiction makes us feel so unique. Yeah. We all feel so unique yeah. in our addictions. And that's what's so cool about those 12 step programs is that you're surrounded by people that have like these, like, there's some crazy shit that I was like, there's no way anyone else has been through this. One moment. <laughs> um, perfect. Put the ad right there. Love it. Love it. This episode is brought to you by Brooke Linen Spring. There's nothing quite like a fresh start. We love a fresh start here in this family. And what better time to freshen things up on the inside too. And I don't mean inside your mind or body. I mean inside your house. Brooklinen has the home essentials that you need to set up your space for a new season. Brooklinen makes sheets that drive the internet wild. They keep people comfortable and... They are classic, they're very luxe, they're good for people who run hot, for people who run cold, I'm the latter. What are you? Brooklinen's got you covered either way. They work directly with suppliers so you never get caught in the middle when it comes to getting the highest quality materials. And with over 100,000 five-star reviews, it's no wonder that they are a go-to for stepping up all things winding down that's really good and you can rest easy knowing that brooklinen delivers directly to your home super fast shipping we love that you can elevate your space and make it feel really lovely and spa like oh and get this did you know that if you get really overwhelmed like (laughs) like me you don't have to stress it's it's all cool listen Brooklinen has bundles, so you can put everything you need into one place and they have options for you. Bed, bath, beyond, dare I say it, or both, even better. When you bundle, you can save money and time. Again, two things we really love doing. I love these sheets. I've been sleeping on them all week. And let me tell you, they're luxe. They are minor. I got the white because I am potentially afraid of color, but... I feel like I'm at a hotel. They're really, lo- I mean, what's better than coming home from the laundromat with clean sheets? You know, I'm going to tell you what's better, actually. Having them already on your bed clean, leaving and coming home to clean sheets. That's what's better. And you know what's even better than that? When they're Brooklinen, honestly, they're really, really nice. So I think you'll like them. Give them a go. Shop online at brooklinen.com for a home refresh at its best. For a limited time, get $20 off plus free shipping on orders of $100 or more with code Let It Out. That's B R O O K L I N E N D O T C O M. Code Let It Out for $20 off. And all of the LA folks come see and feel the comfort in real life. You can now shop Brooklyn and Sheets towels, and more in person at their Santa Monica store. No way. So next time you're on the West side, you can give them a go or come on over here if you're on this side of town and you can, you can try mine. Thank you so much, Brooklyn. And I'm so grateful to you. You have no idea. 
It truly means so much. This week's episode is brought to you by Rethinking Wellness. It's a new podcast. Guess who makes this podcast? It's a friend of mine, a friend of the show, the creator of Food Psych, Christy Harrison. If you don't know Christy, she is a journalist. She's a registered dietitian. She's the author of the book Anti-Diet, which came out in 2019, and the forthcoming book called The Wellness Trap, which comes out in April. I got to read an early copy, and it's really, really good. And listen, Christy, you, you probably know her. She's been on the show a couple times. You know, she's my friend, but her work has actually helped me so much starting in 2013. And now she is starting a new project. It's a new podcast to continue the conversations from her new book, which explores the connections between diet culture and wellness culture, how the wellness space became rife with scams, misinformation, and can inadvertently lead people down a path of disordered eating and other harmful behaviors, and how the shortcomings of the conventional healthcare system makes so many of us vulnerable to false promises and how you can find actual true well-being within all of that. On her new show, you'll hear from people who've learned to navigate this tricky landscape, including scholars and experts on media literacy, wellness culture, critics of social media and the attention economy and people who have fallen into the wellness trap and begun to find their way out, including her, including Christy herself. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And listen, I'm going to give you something off script. I'm actually going to be on the show. (laughs) I'm going to be interviewing Christy about her new book and even hosting some in-person book events at bookstores in LA and New York potentially, so more on all of that really soon. But for now, her new podcast launches on Monday. So if you're listening to this, the day it comes out in just a few days, or it's already out. Yeah, I think I think it took me hearing like all these stories that I thought were so unique to me that other people had like these same exact stories. And like that helped me feel like, oh, like there's a way out of this. There's a way to like figure this out. And I don't know. It's funny. Just like talking and relating with someone helps so much with just getting out of your head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think around addiction and, and generally outside of that, it's, and I, and I think that quote landed with me partly because of this, where they say misguided attempt to regulate your nervous system, which Mm -hmm. we sort of spoke about, but it's controlling anything, right? Mm -hmm. Is disconnection like anytime yeah. we're trying to focus internally on controlling whether it's even if it's how we feel to be able to perform what we need to do or get through the day and you kind of alluded to this of, of how you tend to spiral anxiety wise when you're by yourself because and and maybe we have this in common of it, it cuts off communication from, with other people, with a, mm-hmm. the world around us when we're, that's why the part about being of service, I think is yeah. so part of it where it's like the only thing that's effectively been able to get me out of my own shit when I'm really, really down mm-hmm. is, and it, and it's not even in a, in a altruistic sort of way, but it's helping somebody else mm-hmm. co- like, 
just connecting with somebody else, listening to something, getting anything to get out of my own Getting out of your own shit. shit. Yeah. Even just like when in New York, I was really, really depressed right before I left and just going outside and like seeing whatever was happening, like right, like on the street right mm -hmm. there, like just getting, but that is so, so hard when you're, the longer you go without doing that. Yeah. It's like a muscle that's really, really weak, even though it's the thing you need the most. Yeah. Um, and I think that the the control aspect of it, though, is like that was the biggest thing for me that I've learned that I'm trying to work on is like I can't control everything. I have always tried to and I'm always let down when I try to control something. And so like when I first got sober, like doing the whole like let go, let God kind of like mantra thing about situations in my life that beforehand when I was trying to control everything, I was just fueled, like filled with like so much anxiety. Like if I was driving to a gig or something in my mind, the whole time on the way to the gig, I'd be like, well, this could go wrong and this could go wrong and this could go wrong. But now it's just like, you know what? I can't control anything that goes wrong. And it's this fucking like insanely liberating freedom that you feel whenever you're like, oh, like I don't have to control everything. Like things can just happen to me and that's okay. You know? Yeah. I mean, honestly, Kale, I'm so happy that happened for you. I mean, it's mm. such a wild story that you probably wouldn't have stayed there if it wasn't for the money. And I, now I remember you did tell me all this outside Good Housekeeping this summer. Right. And I remember as you were telling it, I was like, God, that's, I'm just so happy. And it feels like you really swiftly after that experience in treatment came out and the way that you integrated back into your life, I'm sure it wasn't, you know, all mm -hmm. super easy, but you're still yourself and you're able to, I, I remember actually having a conversation with you about this back there and you were like getting a seltzer and you and mm -hmm. Christine and I were like yeah, chatting about this and you were like, yeah, I, I thought I couldn't, or I'll let you say yeah, it. Yeah, 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 totally. You were talking to me about. Yeah, I mean, I thought I was gonna lose my personality. I thought yeah. that I wasn't going to be like fun or like funny or anything. I remember when I was in rehab, I like, it's like week three or something. I started to make jokes again, <laughs> you know? And I was like, it scared me that I was making, I was like, ooh, because they, they always talk about like, oh, you know, like you're close to relapse when you start exhibiting old behaviors. And I was like, oh, my old behaviors are like me, like being sarcastic and like making jokes like that. And then they were like, I remember I like pulled like a counselor aside and I was like, I think I'm like, I'm doing the wrong thing because I'm making jokes again. And I'm like being like sarcastic and kind of self-deprecating sometimes. And he was like, no, that's like, that's literally just your personality. Like you're getting your personality back. You can have the same personality. Like you just, I do find it, it's harder for me to be super self-deprecating like I used to be. I can still do it sometimes, but like, I think I've gotten to a point where I don't hate myself and I'm like. Yeah. kind of like myself at sometimes that like I was so scared that like I wasn't going to be able to go out and do the same stuff I was only going to be able to hang out with sober people I was going to be boring I was just like I feel like I'm the best version of myself I have been I feel like I'm still not peak kale maybe but like I feel like I'm like on the right track I guess mm. well I mean I think self-awareness you can't hide anything anymore there's no yeah. the smoke screen is lifted and mm -hmm. it's all in front of your face kind of like you know what you do in morning pages it's like all you're not numbing with anything and it's just all there and mm -hmm. yeah i'm just i'm really happy that that happened for you and that you shared that i think it's it is helpful for people 
to ascend to a point, but also like everybody has to, you probably heard a million stories like this from people you admired or, mm. you know, knew sober people that were cool, but you have to be ready and have the willingness. And, but I, I, not to discredit that I think it's important to tell these sorts of stories and, yeah, you know, whether it, someone has an addictive personality or not, I think it's really good to hear about because you probably know someone who does and yeah. this stuff is so intense and everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And I think like my, you know, they always talk about like the window, you have to like find your window and then you have to jump through the window or else that window is going to close. And like, I like, I'm finding myself disagreeing with that a little bit lately, just because like, I want like as many people as I know to get this as possible, you know, because I do. And I'm not saying that I'm trying to take everyone and did like any of my friends a drink into AA, but like the, what I've done has helped me so much just as a person, like, and as like finding myself and finding like true, like relationships with people and how to like really enjoy life is so powerful and i never had that before and like i want to like spread that you know like that's huge like whether you're drinking or not like i'm like i just want to like spread this like thing you know yeah so i'm curious how it affected you and were you worried about how it would affect you creatively and in mm -hmm. your work and 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 then i mean also with the book and with with what yeah. you what you've done since i feel like you from my perspective, not knowing you that well, but mm -hmm. being a viewer, mm -hmm. I feel like you are still the same person that prior to that, that mm -hmm. I knew on the internet and in, in the neighborhood. But it does feel more true and it does feel more more personal and like you're, yeah, I, I I think that it's, I don't know, it's hard for me to articulate, but it feels yeah. it feels better as a viewer too. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't think I've ever had any problem with sharing, like oversharing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think that's like kind of where like the notes from the book kind of come out. It's like, I don't mind telling the world everything about me, like at any time. Like it's, it's like a compulsive act. But I think beforehand it was like, I was like, isn't it funny that I'm telling everyone like how like depressed I am and stuff. And like, I thought it was funny. I thought that was my personality. And I was like, I would talk to people at like post getting sober and they're like, they're like, oh no, like that wasn't funny. Like that was actually really sad to watch, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, oh my God, it was. So I was really worried about that. I was worried about like, what am I going to write songs about? What am I, how am I going to perform? Like, how am I not going to freak out and have panic attacks on stage? You know, because I had all this anxiety. I didn't realize that anxiety would go way down. So like performing was like, it's like a breeze now. I mean, it's still, I still get nervous before, but it's like, I get just as nervous as I would if I was drinking, if I was like, so that's been like a little bit of a hurdle, but not really. But like the funny story is I came out of rehab and I was like, all right, I got to like get back to like songwriting and like doing these things that make me happy. And I sat down with my song journal and I was like, okay, let's, let's work on some songs that I started like in the past six months. And I like pulled up these songs and they were like, shit, like <laughs> they were so bad. And like, just like lazy rhymes, just like they didn't really mean anything. And it was all just because like, I didn't have the brain capacity to like really like write about anything meaningful. And I immediately like over the span of like a couple weeks wrote like five new songs that are like literally the best songs I've ever written. 
And it wasn't like difficult. It was like, all right, this feels natural. It kind of just like poured out of me. And there's songs that are about stuff other than like, oh, like she broke my heart or like, it's like more things that I feel are more meaningful to me right now. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like, if anything, it's, it's only helped my creativity. And like, I would never have put out a book if it weren't for getting sober. Talk think. about the book. How did it? So yeah, we, we talked about morning pages. That was like one of our first conversations i think mm -hmm. and i asked you once because i would read them every day mm -hmm. on instagram and i was like do you do this before is mm -hmm. this related is this your morning pages and i'm curious about the process and yeah how to become this so i do it after so I do my morning pages every morning and then afterwards i either like will pull like a sentence that i wrote on the morning page or just like an idea that like popped into my head during it Maybe it's a summary or like maybe it's just something super mundane of like, you know, I have like a lot of them that are just like I'm eating Cheerios with blueberries and like sitting by the window. But it became this thing that I don't know, it was just really enjoyable to like just share some stupid or sometimes sometimes not stupid. Sometimes it was like a profound thought to me at the time. But yeah, I just started collecting them and sharing them and people seemed to like them. And so I was like, I have all these photographs that I've taken, like film photographs I've taken over the past like four years. And why don't I put them with the, with the notes? So my, my philosophy, and I think this was after reading The Artist's Way, is like, I want to have such a plethora of things that I've released in my lifetime that when I die, like I wanna leave behind like so much shit. Like whether it's good or bad, like I don't care. It's just like, I wanna release like, so much stuff into the world that like maybe that's the validation but i guess you can't really get validated after you're dead but i don't know so it was just like a thing that was like that would be cool to make a book out of and went for it and was able to do it how does it feel like how did it feel to put it out and and you just had a party this weekend mm -hmm. it feels good it feels it's interesting it's like unlike anything i've done before yeah. and it's always like i have like imposter syndrome with everything i do so like people will be like, oh, you wrote a book. Like, tell me you wrote a book. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's like your coffee table book. <laughs> like, I didn't write a book. It's a totally new medium. It's something I've never done before, but it feels like, it feels authentic. It feels like something that is like uniquely me. And yeah. I feel like having the like launch party or whatever last week was really like interesting because I did have people coming up to me who didn't know who I was and telling me that like they were like this is really cool and I really like resonated with this and I think it's cool that you're able to be so open and share like your life with like strangers yeah like I said earlier I don't have any problem with doing that and it's so it's funny when people are like that's so cool that you did that I'm like really like I just when I went to rehab I posted on Instagram like hey yeah. guys I'm gonna be gone for 30 days doing this people are like that's so brave of you and I was like really like that's that's brave. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is, you're talking to the person who literally has a program called Let It Out that I've <laughs> talked about my life on the internet for 10 years. So, I yeah. mean, I get it in, in some way. I have about 10 million more questions for you, mm -hmm. but one of them from one of your friends mm -hmm. relates to this. And so, this is from Lauren. Okay. She asked, what is your favorite artistic medium? It's hard to say because I feel like I do so many different things. I mean, I would say songwriting, like I really like writing songs, but sometimes I hate writing songs, you know? I think the one that's the most gratifying to me only because the process of it is so interesting and like surprising is like taking photos. Like mm -hmm. I love 
having a point and shoot camera and taking it to the lab and then getting it back and being like just shocked by everything. So I think, although I wouldn't call myself a photographer, I think that like photographing would be my favorite medium. Well, our friend, Christine, mm -hmm. she's done the podcast a bunch of times. And, and I remember having a conversation with her about this as well, because she works across so many mediums and mm -hmm. does them all oddly, incredibly, incredibly well. Yeah. And, and you too, you know, you're doing ceramics and taking mm -hmm. photos and writing and, and doing music. And I admire you you all so much because I, I don't even have like one at all. <laughs> so <laughs> I asked her a similar question and she was like, whenever I feel blocked in one, I'm really grateful because I just do something else. Big and time. you can you can bounce between that. And even in my like all the different things that I do, like I'll if I don't want to do this writing project, I'll do this other thing. Mm -hmm. I, I'll having that that agility, I think it's really helpful creatively. So you don't have to you don't push get, through something. Yeah. And I feel like I don't get bored ever with it. Because yeah. I think Especially when I lived in Nashville, there was so much pressure on me to be a musician. It's like, I gotta be a songwriter. I gotta be writing a song every day, or I gotta be in the studio, or I have to be playing shows. And then I just was like, oh, like I can do other shit too. I've always enjoyed taking photos, I've always enjoyed like writing stuff. I just, I never allowed myself to do it. And I'm, because I think that I was stuck in this mindset of everything I do, I have to take so seriously that it has to be my thing. If I'm going to paint a picture, then I have to be a painter. And that has to be my career path. And that's just like not how it is. And I do a lot of things and I'm okay at all of them. <laughs> like I don't feel like I'm like the best, most profound at any of them. But I just enjoy it all. And it's like fun. And I like, I don't mind not being like an expert at any of these things, you know, because it's more fun this way. Yeah, I... I I used to talk on this show a lot about feeling like I was a master of none. Like mm -hmm. I did it, I tried a bunch of things, but I was really bad at all of them. Yeah. And I, I was, it's all, this is always just, like I said, a, a mirror of whatever I'm like stewing on in my mm -hmm. brain. And somebody on here said that don't worry about feeling that way. First of all, they gave me some validation because they were like, it's a sign of a highly creative personality, which I'm not even sure if that's true, but I'll take the dopamine. I think so. And then they were like, whatever rises to the top will be the thing. Like you, if you dabble in a bunch oh, yeah. of things, like it's fine. One of them will kind of like, you'll just do more, you'll get better at or whatever. And yeah. that one you will, you know, hopefully find some, you'll put in your 10,000 hours in. And see yeah. at this point though, I don't even care. Like I truly like, I don't care if any of these like <laughs> rise to the top. I don't know. I think I got so bogged down by music yeah. that I realized that if, and I hope this isn't the case, but if I start to take something too seriously that I like doing, I'm going to hate it. You know, after a while, like once I'm like too deep in it, I'm going to start to hate it. I'm going to pull away from it. Like a friend group I'm going to pull away from because I feel like I'm in this bubble. And I hope that that's not the case. But right now I think it's just, I'm just trying to like do things that make me happy. Mm -hmm. And like, just like if, creating this makes me happy to do that so wow so are we getting into so i guess we're taking like the concept of avoidant attachment that you would have with relationships and putting it towards creative projects i think sometimes yeah i think sometimes the avoidant attachment is is very big in me <laughs> wow yeah. wow i i would love to be avoidantly attached it sounds like a dream mm. 
don't know. I think secure sounds like a dream. (laughs) Never mind. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. Speaking of Christine, our question was good. How do you think you come off to people upon meeting them for the first time? Wow. Well, we kind of discussed that. This has changed over time because I, I feel like I'm losing some of the insecurity that I had. So I think at first I was, I thought I was coming across as like super neurotic and chatty and insecure, but like, but I thought I was funny. I was always, I don't know. I've always been like, yeah, I'm like really funny. And I think I was using like my humor to like mask my, you know, insecurities. But now it's hard to say. I mean, I hope I come off as, I hope I come off as like the chill guy, you know, like you said earlier, like, I think, I think I'm getting closer to that. Is there anything that you wish that I would have asked that you never get to talk about? Anything that you want to recommend? Anything that Mm -hmm. those are sort of the, that's kind of all I really had, but if you want to, there's something you really wanted to. I don't, I don't have any, like, this has been amazing. Like being able to talk about all this stuff. I would recommend that everyone reads Motel Chronicles by Sam Shepard. I think every single person should read it. And my book. (laughs) Some memories are only thoughts. Yeah. Available on your website? On my website. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I just, I think creatively, like inspiration wise, it's just like, just do what makes you happy and like try not to like worry about results all the time because I feel like that's what that's what ruins things for people is whenever you're just bogged down by the validation aspect of it so mm. well thanks this is really nice i i want to yeah. keep hanging out and talking know, it's 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 cool it was cool to hear all of this and thank you for doing it thank you for having me it's great i'm happy to know you yeah. thank you so much for listening that was my conversation with kale You can listen to his music, you can read his book, you can see him walking around our neighborhood. (laughs) And honestly, I I really want to mention Music Cares because I think that organization is the real hero of of this story or one of them. And I looked them up and I'm going to put the link in the show notes because it's a really wonderful important organization that I'm so happy was there for Kale and maybe you or someone you know and send this episode to someone who might want to hear it or not want to hear it yet but it maybe plants a seed and then five years they're like oh yeah that guy on the one that person's weird podcast he was really nice and then they you know maybe they call music cares too or maybe not but I'm just really happy that they exist and I'm so happy that Kale is in in this place that he is because he's really special and I'm happy to know him. A similar organization called Sound Mind Live, my really good friend Chris, who is still in New York, it's similar, but they talk about mental health within music and he's going to come on this podcast really soon too. So that's another option that I want to just mention now. And speaking of housekeeping announcements, thank you to everyone who listened to last week's episode, especially with the last three with Ryan Bassetti. Speaking of Texas, you know, that last episode about Marfa was talk about a special edition. So thank you for being cool with it and rolling with a three-part episode. And I just appreciate you listening, letting me do the real mixed bag. And and I'm I'm grateful that 
you're here, truly. It, it means so much. And thank you for coming to the neighborhood and, and talking to Kale and I today or eavesdropping on Kale and I today. And I'll talk to you next week. You know where to find me. This podcast has its own Instagram. Let it out with three Ts. Also me, Kale's Instagram. We talked about Instagram so, so goddamn much on this. So <laughs> if you want to come on over there, you know where we'll be. Just <laughs> liking each other's photos and, and, and waiting to see what other bozos <laughs> like our photos. Oh man, it's all so silly, but I really am happy that I do this silly thing that I get to talk to friends and strangers and all right, I will talk to you next week with a new friend or stranger. We'll see. Brianna Bain is my friend and the best editor and most helpful, wonderful person in the Laughter. world. You check on my Instagram, reach high for the upper hand, and prove that you're fine. We don't have to start a war It's just not healthy